Good morning. This has been one of those weeks that um, was challenging. My days of duty normally run 13 hours. I was probably averaging 15. Some days went as high as 18 this past week. And it seemed like uh, this relentless onslaught of problems. Don't worry, I did survive. I'm, I am here. Um, it, it actually is quite satisfying when issues like that are resolved. It left me in a position where I, I had some, a chance to work on my message, but um, it almost seems as if confusion reigned. I said, Lord, give me the message. You've laid something on my heart. Help me to bring it together. And as it gelled, and as I worked the last few days, it's like, I can't hardly even understand what I'm putting together here. Lord, how is anybody else going to understand it? Yet comfort in what we've covered this morning in the worship service and the hymns, this thing, we were, this, what we were just singing, a glorious morrow when we reach our peaceful dwelling on the strong eternal hills and our praise to him is swelling who the vast creation fills when the paths of prayer and duty and affliction all are trod and we wake and see the beauty of our Savior and our God. That really is the ultimate message that I'm going to be bringing this morning that I think the Lord has given me. We want to be fair, honest, and faithful ambassadors delivering the word. Um, you know, we, we opened the meeting for the worship service this morning about we would remember our Lord. Uh, our brother read the account of the two traveling to Emmaus and how their eyes were opened and they recognized their Lord. Shared we're going to be like him, that we have died and we're hidden with Christ in God. What a glorious thought. Do, do we live that way? And then when he's revealed, we will be revealed with him in glory. And that is the, the sight picture that we want to keep in mind. That will help us to maintain our footsteps on the path which the Lord has set before us. You know, I'm always encouraged. We have an assembly here that is filled by and large with very mature Christians, a strong in the word, faithful in service. We see the Lord has been rewarding the efforts here, particularly as I look at the children's ministries and how the Lord is even sending to us sheep from other flocks to be fed. We feed them and send them back. We want to honor the great shepherd and and so I look at this and with this message this morning, this is one of education and encouragement that we would be further prepared uh, to exhort one another unto love and good deeds. I, I, I like the way that King James puts it, to provoke one another unto love and good deeds. This idea of an excited response is what we want to elicit from one another. As for the proud one, his soul is not right within him but my just one shall live by his faith. You know, I go to that verse quite a bit, or as Paul would quote it, the just shall live by faith. And all those hymns we were singing, that's when we're obedient and lending ourselves to the Lord. That's showing we believe, we believe. Lord, I don't understand what's going on at the moment. It seems like confusion, but I'm just following your direction. Well, 
I want to spend some time uh, looking uh, at the book of Hebrews. Uh, matter of fact, let's turn there and I'll read one. We'll go through and read one verse right off the bat. Again, because it, it helps us to determine what's important and where our focus should be. I'm just going to read right now Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And we see there, because of his suffering, he's crowned with glory and honor. We, we see that in Philippians 2 as well. He is our example. Here, as it's, we're told in Philippians 2, he's humbled himself um, to the point of death on a cross. And for that reason, he's given a name above every other name. And we're to follow him. We're to humble ourselves. Again, lend ourselves to the Lord. And in due time, we'll be with him in glory. When he is revealed in glory, we shall be revealed in glory with him. In glorified bodies, we will never attain to the level of our Lord and Savior. But this is an instance, though the Lord says he will not share his glory with others, he will give glory to those who are his children and who have trusted in the saving work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and honor him. Father, we, we do come before you and we confess our weakness in, in the putrid state of, of flesh. Uh, yet you have given us new life and made us new creatures. And we pray that that is what will be on display this morning. We pray that it is your words and your words alone that will be heard. We pray that all we do will be for the sake of encouraging one another and for giving glory to your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his name. Um, I've perhaps whimsically titled this message, A Heaping Helping of, Math of uh, Hebrews Meat. Um, you know, maybe I read a little too much of Joseph, and I feared a famine, so I had packed, stored up in case of a famine, and I've been working on removing some of the over over stuff and I'm on a, a carnivore diet that just happens to be an aside to this but we want to talk about Hebrews the meaty portions yet the reality is I doubt that this morning we'll get really all the way through the appetizer because we want to look at the framework we want to understand the scope of the book who it's written to and the application or should I say, applications. Because like all prophecy, which we, we, again, we in the Western world, we think of prophecy as prediction and fulfillment, but with God, prophecy is, yes, it is prediction and fulfillment, but it always establishes a pattern with which God deals with mankind. You know, I understand that, um, you know, last week, uh, our brother Ken finished up with the with Galatians that uh, we've been going through, and this seems like a uh, the natural leap. Except the Lord had kind of laid it on my heart. I've, I've been in and out of Hebrews a lot. You hear portions of this in many of my messages, and uh, again, this is a mature gathering of believers. Yes, there are some who are young, 
but even the, the meat of Hebrews is beneficial and healthy for new believers. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30, um, we're not going to spend much time there. You don't need to turn there, but it's, it's, um, there's a couple verses I want to lay down as sort of, again, a foundation. Um, in this one, in Hebrews 10, verse 30, we're told, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Paul's taking their quotes from Deuteronomy 35 uh, or 32, and he's taking two different verses and bringing them together with this thought. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10. This is a good thought for us to develop. Paul is saying here, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And again, Paul includes himself in there. Again, throughout his writings, at times it almost seems as if Paul is paranoid as he would talk about running a race in, in 1 Corinthians 9. You've got to do it according to the rules or you'll be disqualified. And he, he goes on to say, Therefore, I, I buffet my body and keep it under subjection, lest after having preached to others, I myself might be adakamos, castaway, an unqualified. That, that term, that Greek term, adakamos, as I understand it, it can be applied to a fruit which is edible, but it is not of a quality to be sold to the public, to be for public consumption. Safety eat, but can't be used in public. Again, Paul's not talking about his justification and his destiny of heaven. He's talking about rewards there in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5 even as he talks about the testing of works in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Well, let's go back to uh, the letter to the Hebrews, and we'll begin at verse 1 of chapter 1. And we'll read portions of that in most of chapter 2. Again, it's a, not a preface, but again to sort of set our sights. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, we understand that the letter to the Hebrews is, is pointing out uh, the glories of Christ and it's for a specific purpose to draw those who hear the message into the realization of what we have, who we have it in, and how that ought to guide our, our steps and our path. Jumping down to the first verse of, of Hebrews chapter 2, for this reason, what reason? Well, 
this description of Christ that, that we didn't read all of it there in chapter 1, but what we have, who we have, the purification of sins, um, the Son who is the exact character and representation of God. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received the just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at, at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Again, because of what we know, what we've seen, what we have record of, we're called to account. We must therefore pay much closer attention. We don't want to just be superficial about it. We don't want to be those who do not seek to go on to maturity. He continues, For he did not subject the angels to the world to come concerning which we are speaking, but one has testified somewhere saying, What is man that you remember him? Why is it that God remembers us? And we can remember all the things we've done wrong. If you want to go right back to the beginning, um, the title deed to the earth was lost to Satan. Adam and Eve gave it up. He is, he is the God of this world currently. Now it no longer belongs to him, but he still possesses it, but not for long. What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? Now we're speaking about Messiah. Now we have somebody that we all ought to be concerned about. You have, been, um, you have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have also crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now... We do not yet see all things subjected to him. Again, the ownership of the earth is the Lord's. The title deed has been taken back, but Satan hasn't been evicted yet, but he's going to be. We know that's true. And again, this is the idea. This is we want to live according to what we know is true. It continues in verse 9, But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Again, as we remembered at the worship services, we've been singing about what has been obtained for us. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. We must die to sin. We have died vicariously through Christ and been raised up with him. He has tasted the taste of death for all. We sang about we sing about the cup that the Lord has drank on our behalf. He took every drag of the sin and left nothing but the love for us. Verse 10, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Now, it wasn't that Christ had a flower need to be made perfect, but rather that in the flesh... He would be made to suffer. Um, he would take the penalty and burden of our sins. He was made perfect for us in his suffering. 
making us perfect and bringing many sons to glory. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. That's, of course, quoting from Psalm 22, which begins off with that horrible picture of the crucifixion. And Christ says, I've done the work of my Father. I have come to reveal him to mankind. I have, in the midst of my brethren, given praise to my Father in heaven. He says, and again, I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, uh, I and the children whom God has given me. Again, this is that promise that we're in the hands of the Son, we're in the hands of the Father, and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. These are the children God has given to the Savior for the one who humbled himself and suffered. Now he is crowned with honor and glory, the prototokos, the firstborn, the one who was the firstborn among men, who is indeed full deity. Therefore, since the children share in, in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. I'm reminded of the, the words of the hymn writer. He died eternal life to bring and lives that death may die. Again, what a glorious thought. So he renders powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham, who, as Scripture tells us, if we're in Christ, we are the spiritual seed of Abraham. As far as I know, I have zero true Jewish blood in me, but I am a spiritual seed of Abraham. And what a glorious thing it is. Out of the flock of Israel came the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Therefore, he had been made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And that was a perfection. Indeed, he becoming flesh, the God-man. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Therefore, I won't try to mimic his voice, but I can hear Vernon McGee saying, every time you see a therefore, well, maybe I will try to mimic it. Every time you see a therefore, you ought to look and try to figure out what it's there for. Well, because of what has all gone on before, this description of the Son of Man the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. That word consider Jesus means to define him, measure him, weigh him out, embrace all that is this man, this God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him. And that is the thought. Again, we're called to be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. And God's doing that and he is going to complete that work. That's the promise of Romans 4.29. We are predestinated to be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. That he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. 
And that's the question we want to ask ourselves, you know, are we being faithful? You know, we could probably end the message uh, right here with a thought, just imitate Jesus. Run the race well. Later in this book, we'll see, we're told, without faith it is impossible to please God. We demonstrate our faith by our activities and our behavior, and when we doubt, we're insulting the God of grace. Well, I want to spend a fair amount of time now just, just discussing the letter to the Hebrews and um, to sort of give us, not only, again, the background, the scope, and maybe to expand our, our, our mind on this. We often turn to this book as we remember the Lord Jesus Christ because of the magnificent, the wondrous, beautiful pictures of the Christ in this book. But there is so much more there. And I think at, at times uh, I am very guilty of reading over a passage so many times and not seeing the great treasure that is there. It is due to preconceptions and whatever it might be, and I'm just in a hurry to get through whatever the reason might be, and you, you miss something. Uh, you know, because of the realm in which it would dwell, I suspect that a, even a peanut in heaven is going to dwarf uh, a, what, a, a planet-sized glazed donut here in this creation. But, but where do we focus? Where is our vision? What is it we desire? I'm, you know, I confess, when I desire a glazed donut, that's all I'm thinking about. And on a carnivore diet, those sort of things uh, are on the way stay away from that list. But where are our desires found, and, and are they in check? If our desire is heaven, is that desire being held in check because of fleshly thoughts or actions? And if, if even being saved, our desire is the earth, are, are we keeping those in check by focusing on Scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer, in order that our, our walk would be right, in order that we would run the race well? You know, we trusted uh, God enough to get saved. As believers, we believe God about uh, sin, death, hell, and salvation. Will we not believe God about uh, consequences for unbelief as believers? Because, brothers and sisters, that's the thrust of the letter to the Hebrews. The besetting sin of Hebrews is unbelief. It's a lack of faith. And again, when we demonstrate that, we're insulting the living God. And we might ask ourselves, can we in good conscience live lives that focus on ourselves and the fulfillment of those earthly desires? jelly donuts, glazed donuts, whatever it might be. Can, can we, in clear conscience, live lives like that? Yeah, of course not. The Spirit will convict us and not let us. And that's why, as a group who love the Bible, we study the Bible, we try to live the Bible, because it brings peace, it brings joy, those things that far transcend momentary uh, temporary things that, that would bring happiness, which is fleeting circumstances. That's not how I would define happiness. Yet joy and true peace, those are the things that endure forever. Is that confident knowledge of well-being because I'm following the path which the Lord has set out for me. You know, you know, human nature makes it really easy for us to put 
out of mind those things that we can't see, feel, touch, taste, smell. Uh, that's, that's our nature, and that's why we have to force ourselves to, to consider the deeper truths and the, the things of eternity. As we sing in the hymn, you know, we want to focus on eternity. Keep your eyes fixed on the finish line. That's the best way to run a race. Where's the finish line? I want to, I want to get there as quick as I can. Okay, maybe some of us want, don't want to go to heaven this morning. But hopefully for all of us, it's a good day to die. We, we might think that tomorrow's better or next week's even better yet. But we, we want our heart to be in heaven before our body gets there. You know, um, this, this book was written to um, Jewish believers. They were tempted to go back into the world. And there's a lot of groups that are spoken of. But it's written to believers because this life does make it tough for us to keep our eye on the, on the prize. Satan and his minion are tempting us. And our own flesh, irrespective of Satan, we'll see that's going to happen during the millennial reign of Christ. Even without Satan to tempt, the human nature desires after the things of the flesh. And it's not that all the things of the flesh are bad. God has blessed us with many great, wonderful, beautiful things here. But we begin to let them possess us to become the object of our, our desire rather than God being the object of our desire and we receiving these things as gifts from him. Well, again, the, the letter to the Hebrews is often called meat for the mature, but uh, it's very healthy for the new believer too. And again, um, the only one in this uh, meeting that I know desperately needs this message is me. Uh, I suspect there's others that could be benefited, but the point I think that the Lord's leading me to look here is that understanding these deep truths uh, in this difficult letter of Hebrews not only helps us to uh, choose our paths wisely and to run a good race, it, it's also vital for us if we're gonna seek to stimulate, uh, to teach, to disciple, to mentor, to encourage, uh, to send forth our brothers and sisters in Christ that they might live lives which are honoring to God. There is this uh, Old Testament truth that is continually revealed to us in the New Testament and I'm going to dwell on this, this thought of uh, Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith and it's uh, the capstone of this uh, trilogy is found in the letter to the Hebrews, an, an Old Testament truth, and it's highlighted for us in this trilogy of Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. When you, when you look at Habakkuk 2.4, it almost seems when you look at that little th three-chapter book of prophecy, it almost seems that verse is out of place. Um, but we'll find that in the New Testament, it takes three whole books to shed the light on that verse. You know, we, all, we rightly say that the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. And here we have three books that are providing commentary on that single verse. As for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but my just one shall live by his faith. That single uh, verse in a, in a simple two-phrase sentence describes the fullness of every person, pronounces for each one of us what our eternal destiny is, and it all comes down to pride, 
or faith. As, you know, again, it's quoted in Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. Um, yet this simple verse is the hinge pinge for all salvation. It's uh, challenged uh, theologians as they look at it being expounded in Romans, in Galatians, and Hebrews. Proverbs 25, 2, I believe it is, it says, It is the glory of the Lord to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of kings to search it out. It's always worth digging to see what you find. When we find something that's difficult to understand, I've heard a, a very good Bible teacher tell me, when you find something you can't understand or it looks to be a contradiction, give praise to God. Give glory to God because you are about to stumble onto something that is of such value that you can hardly imagine it. And when the resolution of these things, which might seem to be contradictory, is brought to light, well, we have now reached a deeper level of understanding, which is a gift from God. You know, he rewards those who seek him. You know, Peter writes about the difficult passages uh, that, that Paul has written. And you know, on that note about Peter, before I go too much further, look, I don't feel any uh, compelling reason to convince people that Paul wrote Hebrews, but it is so deeply ingrained within me, and I, I see it. it, and it's going to come out. I'm not using his name by design, but as I look at all the things in total, not just the fact that Habakkuk 2.4 is quoted in each of these books, but all these things sort of come together in concert. And even for those who, who would say Paul definitely didn't write it, virtually all of them will agree that the entire thought of the book is Pauline, but maybe it was written by one of his students. So just bear with me. If I, if I say Paul, I'm, I'm not trying to get a, a, a gig in there. Um, just pray for me as the, the weaker brother. But Peter mentioning, you know, these difficult passages that uh, Paul has written to you, as all the rest of his scripture. So he's saying it's scripture. So there was something that Paul wrote to the Hebrews that is scripture. And if it's not the letter to the Hebrews, then perhaps we have a missing book of scripture somewhere. And I don't think that's likely. Regardless, we know who wrote the letter to the Hebrews. It's written by the Holy Spirit. Again, as Peter would tell us, holy men of God, led by the Holy Spirit, deliver unto us the word of God. The Holy Spirit uses a scribe to, to take down his word, and often it's presented in the flavor of the scribe, but it is the words of God that come to us. Well, Hebrews, the, the culmination and the grand finale of this, uh, this brilliant trilogy, and um, maybe by way of a little illustration, we can think about these, these, uh, these three books and how they describe not only soteriology, that is salvation, but what it means for us as believers. The letter to the Romans I've often described as the essential legal document which describes the, um, the relationship between man, all of mankind, saved and lost, and our God. And it is that. But by way of a little uh, illustration, Consider for a moment uh, as if Romans is the spiritual lighthouse which guides us out of a deadly storm and into the safe harbor. It is the light that reveals the deadly reefs all around us and the wrecks which seek to destroy us. Uh, the, the light uh, also shows us that the passage isn't difficult. It's impossible. 
impossible without the light. The lighthouse is only effective if we see the light and have faith that following it will save us from certain destruction. Galatians, well, this epistle reminds us that it was the light that brought us safely into harbor, for we were blind and helpless in the depth of the deadly storm and darkness. It also warns us that there are those around us with false lights on all sides trying to draw us aside unto our destruction. All who follow the light will be saved and share the same bond of salvation available only in that one true light. Finally, Hebrews remind us we have been saved from certain destruction and now reside in the safe harbor where we must be about our master's business. We're exhorted to be faithful workers laboring for our loving master and that we must be honorable and honest ambassadors, uh, vocal ambassadors for our king. We're warned that though we are saved and safely in harbor forever, there will be consequences for our disobedient or, or even slothful behavior. Warnings of behavior in this letter to the Hebrews range from neglect to outright rebellion and culminates in a complete indifference. That is, such a searing of the conscience, it's dead. They have no thoughts about God at all. A total rejection of feelings for our Savior. You know, Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 3 that there's going to be some. All their works burn up. Yet they themselves are saved as if passing through fire. I get this picture of a fearful picture of me entering into heaven with not even any clothes on. They've all been burned off. I don't have the white robes of which are the righteous works of the saints. And like I said, Paul almost seemed like he wrote with a certain degree of paranoia up until he got the second Timothy, which he said, I've run a race well. He finished well. You know, Harry Ironside points out this trilogy embodies each in each of the books, two of the words from Habakkuk 2.4, uh, the, the entire phrase is quoted in each, but um, in each of these books, those two of the words describe the purpose and the grand statement of each of those three books. The just shall live by faith. Romans being, it tells us who the just are and who they aren't. It describes differences from God our differences from God and our differences from one another. It points out there are differences. He gives wonderful testimony to the work of God, God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. It declares that our being just isn't temporary or fragile thing, but rather that those who have been justified by God have also already been glorified by Him. There is no condemnation or separation from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. But Romans does confront us with this truth. We must make a decision. We have a choice to make. In Galatians, if Romans is the just, Galatians is shall live. It tells us what happens to those who are just. They shall live. We're also again reminded that all the work which gives us life was done by God. It was the light from the lighthouse. And it was the work of the Savior. And it reminds us all the work which gives us life has been done by God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and that this life exists in us wholly apart from our own works. While Romans points out our differences, Galatians portrays the common and inseparable identity which all believers have in Christ. It's obtained by faith, not gender, ancestry, race, or station in human life. Galatians pronounces the response 
which God makes to those who choose to believe him. Hebrews, Romans tells us who the just are and Galatians says they shall live and Hebrews tells us that the just shall live by faith. Again, we believed enough to be saved. Can we build up that faith enough to walk daily with our Lord and Savior? That's the continual question. I've, you know, as I've said before, every time we disobey, either we don't believe what the, the Word of God says or we don't fear the consequences. And that's the thrust of this letter, the letter to the Hebrews. You know, though there are great and magnificent pronouncements and remembrances of the work of God throughout Hebrews, the purpose of the book is to bring to fullness behavior and works in and by the believer because they will testify to the faith that the believer possesses. We're instructed to be faithful and to tread the path our loving Father has set before us, not a path of our own choosing. Run the race which has been set before you. Now, hopefully everyone here, our, our race begins at the same spot, at the, the foot of the cross, and it ends at the same finish line, heaven. But we're going to have slightly different courses. The, the, the Lord has pl planned out a little bit different course for me than he has for any of the rest of you. We're to run it with endurance, though. This, again, disobedience proves we don't believe God. The believer is exhorted to push on to maturity, embracing the will and works that our Heavenly Father has prepared beforehand that we might walk amongst them in Christ, as we're told in Ephesians 2.10. And we want to demonstrate love and gratitude and respect. We do it through faithful service and obedience to the one who has saved us. Our obedience shows we recognize we've been purchased by the blood and we have chosen to become bondservants of the living God. Now, as in Romans, we have to make another choice. As I've said before, I often, in, in, a, in a sense to draw them into this thought, tease new believers with, okay, you've made the, the most important decision in life you'll ever make. How about the second most important decision? You know what that is? It's when you get to heaven, are you going to live in a mansion or a tent? How much building material are you sending on up in, into heaven? Jesus said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. We, we keep thinking of gold and diamonds and things. That's, that's the paving material, as they say, in heaven. But Jesus has promised, you know, when we give up something in this life for him, will we not receive a hundredfold in return? Again, do we believe? We like that promise, right? Uh, the guest list in the main course of Hebrews. Who, who is the, this meal of Hebrews uh, for? Um, as we get into this again, I, I mentioned preconceptions earlier. We, we want to be careful. We have truths, biblical truths, scriptural truths that we have embraced, we have grabbed a hold of, and we want to hold on to those and never let them go. But we have to be careful. I bring my preconceptions all the time. When you have a preconception, you have already altered your ability to read out of the text what God has put there. We'll color it with our own thoughts. Again, that's part of human nature. That's why there's such a value in having a multitude of teachers. Got the same source material, but that's the reason we're given Proverbs 27, 17. Even as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. If we're missing a little bit, 
Well, like Aquila and Priscilla, you want to take Apollos aside and more fully explain the truth. And we want to be willing to listen. If we're going to speak the truth in love, we have to be willing to listen also. I guess my charge here is, is don't let your preconceptions control your understanding of what we study. I earnestly believe that all scripture is to be taken literally unless, unless it demands otherwise. Of course, defining that what demands, that's where the, it's always different from one student to the next, isn't it? I don't think anybody's going to mistakenly think that God is a bird because when we read in Psalm 91 that uh, he wants to shelter us under his pinions, under his feathers, and a little later under his wings. But unless the text demands it, I believe we should take all of the Word of God in literal fashion, unless it is impossible to do so. The more we begin to spiritualize or allegorize Scripture, that gives us license to turn it into whatever we want. And we see it particularly in the last 200 years. It accelerated over the last 100 years and even faster the last 20 when we play fast and loose with what the Word of God says, we can end up virtually anywhere. So we want to give the benefit of the doubt to God. Just take it as literal, in, in, unless you absolutely can't. And when we take Hebrews, especially in context with Romans and Galatians, it becomes completely clear this letter was written to and for believers. No serious expositor that I'm aware of thinks otherwise. Uh, they all agree this was written to Jewish believers. I think it's uh, Vernon McGee is the one who refers to uh, Hebrews as the salad bar of the New Testament because the writer keeps saying, let us, let us, let us. He's included in, in all of these. He includes himself as a member of it. There are, however, passages in this book that some feel are written to unbelievers, and, and unfortunately that might compel uh, those who believe so to rest some of the difficult passages like um, the opening verses of chapter 6 or uh, in chapter 10. They're going to rest it because they bring preconceptions and they think it's written to unbelievers when uh, it's not. Now, there are applications for unbelievers. Uh, at best, doing that would cr create confusion, and at worst, it's going to prevent us from uh, to ignore some of the exhortations that are directed at, at us as believers. Uh, you know, I, as, I, as I read in, in chapter 2, and I, I, I earnestly believe the letter to the Hebrews was written for the express purpose of bringing many sons to glory and encouraging us to lend ourselves to the work of the Lord so that I can't say we're making it easier for the Holy Spirit, but we're not fighting against him. That we're more conformed to the image of Christ Jesus before we leave this world. We do control that. That's the reason the warnings in 1 Corinthians 11 are given, that sometimes there are those who are sick, weak, sick, or even sleep. Why? Because they're giving reason for unbelievers to blaspheme the name of God. They're acting in an untoward way. They're not acting Christ-like. Uh, the recipients of this letter, I believe, already are sons. And again, the thrust of the letter is to portray what has already been done by God through Christ Jesus. And these glorious pictures of Christ are there for the purpose that they, we can then contrast that with inactivity or disobedience by believers. 
and how by doing so we're, we're insulting the living God through our lack of faith and we're bringing disrepute to our Savior. Uh, the emphasis on the works of those to whom this book is written prove that it's not justification that is at risk but rewards and judgment of believers' works. You know, as I quoted earlier, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, we're, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul includes himself there. We're going to receive recompense for the deeds done in the flesh, be they good or be they bad. The letter to the Hebrews, again, since it's all about works, cannot be about justification. Well, I said we wouldn't get out of the uh, appetizers, and, and that is uh, very true. I'll uh, relate a story just in, in closing. In February of 1971, uh, I ran the Vigorade, the World Masters Marathon. It, it was held on a certified course, uh, beginning and ending at the Anaheim Stadium. The organizers were actually hoping for a new world record. This was a, a fairly flat course, and they the biggest names uh, were there. That's why it was called the World Masters Marathon. But unfortunately, even in February, it was a very hot day and it was smoggy. There were no records set. The, the record at that time, I believe, was two hours and eight minutes. And I think the, the one who, who crossed the finish line first was two hours and 11 minutes, or maybe it was 18. It was significantly slower than the organizers had, had hoped for. Um, you know, although I had run much longer distances in training, I wanted to be sure I could finish this uh, official race, and, and I ran it at a very relaxed pace with a friend of mine, uh, Rick Spence. Uh, we ran it at a pace that was comfortable. I could, I could easily converse with him as we were, uh, should, I should probably just say jogging. Um, so we're making our way towards the last miles. I, there was course workers spread throughout the, the 26 miles. And I asked one of the course workers, how far to the stadium? The reply was, two miles. I was suddenly overcome with the realization that uh, I had run well below my potential. My reply, my reply and I, I just said to Rick, I, I got to go. And I took off. And... Um, while the course worker was corrected, it was two miles to the stadium, what was missing in her message was I had to do a circuit around the entire outside perimeter of the stadium. Then we went in a rather circuitous route through the parking lot. So although I was only two miles from the stadium property, it was another six miles to the finish line. Um, I finished that race at a sprint, and the photos my coach, uh, Don Chattis, took at the finish line uh, showed my feet at a minimum six inches off the ground, and I was blazing by everybody. Though I had run leisurely much of the race, I, I finished in a strong fa fashion. I believe my finishing slot out of, the, I don't know, there were several thousand there. Um, as I look back and started looking at the numbers the other day, I think I finished 113th. Three hours, 38 minutes, 19 seconds, and 11 hundredths. But who's counting? Um, I don't know why I remember that. I didn't have to look that up. I, I, for some reason, I knew it. And that sounds pretty good, right? My coach didn't think so. Though this was an official race uh, of our team, uh, he chewed me out. He says, 
These photos are irrefutable proof that you did not spend yourself wisely in that race. He was right. I should have finished that race um, probably an hour uh, quicker. I should have been able to run that race in somewhere around two and a half hours. I, I, I'm glad I ran it. I look back with fond memories. Uh, I'm, I'm very glad that I stepped it up for the last portion of the race. But I wince a little bit as I look back and say, I could have done better. How are you doing in the race with, for Christ? How are you doing? Do you want to look back and say, I could have done better? Father, we love you. We want to respect you because respect is one of those outward demonstrations of love. And we want to have faith. But as that young father said to your son, I believe, but help our unbelief. We have been given so much. and We have such a beautiful, such a wonderful Savior. How easy it is for us to get caught up in the things of life and to look to the side, to look at the things around us, to enjoy the trip rather than focusing on the finish line. Father, give us strength and give us clarity of vision. Let us be good, honest, and vocal ambassadors for Christ. Let us live lives where they, those around us give glory to you. And all things, let us encourage one another. We thank you for the works that you've blessed here at this assembly. We thank you for the, the workers. We thank you for the strength of the saints and the prayers that go up on a daily basis. We thank you for your trust that you've put in us in ministering to saints and to all the children. We pray for your continued blessings. Uh, part us with your blessing now, that your will will gather again tonight and look at more of your word. Help us to not only hear it and understand it, but to demonstrate it in our lives. All for the glory of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.